Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and we are at the fifth Sunday in Lent in year B. Our series is Rethinking Religion, and of course you can read more about it on the Foundation tab uh, in wellscongregationalservices.net. Our preachers for this series remain Pastor Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School in Milwaukee and Pastor John Scharf from Abiding Grace Lutheran Church in Covington, Georgia. And also with us today, Professor Alan Sorum from the seminary. Uh, Phil, this Sunday in the Rethinking Religion series, what is this Sunday all about? I'm happy to talk about it a little bit here. You mentioned well our theme for Lent as we've been walking with Jesus, rethinking so many things. Um, rethinking our priorities, trials and tests in our lives, suffering, the worth of worship. Uh, last week was the solution to sin. And there's a nice little tie-in from jumping from John 3, Jesus who's lifted up uh, like the snake in the desert, um, to Jesus talking about being lifted up on a cross right now in his death. Um, in this fifth Sunday. And so today we're rethinking about uh, devo devoted commitment to him. And as people who walk with Jesus, Christians have the label of little mini Christs. We understand, of course, some are very committed to that. And some are maybe more cultural Christians, nominal Christians, Christians just in name only. And so what we want to think carefully about today is what does it look like to have a devoted commitment to Christ and to his cross. Okay, yeah, thanks for setting the uh, the theme for us, and now we'll see how the other readings reflect that theme. John, could we go to you next for a little bit about the first and second reading on this Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. Our first reading uh, this morning is God's comfort through his prophet Isaiah that the God of all power, you know, the one who created us, who formed us, and the God of all love, the, the Redeemer, is with us no matter what. He summoned us by name, claimed us as his own, and he's absolutely committed to us. And at the end of this pericope, he says that he created us for his glory. Uh, what he does for us ends up showing the glory of God. And the Hebrews reading describes our gospel scene as Jesus offers up prayers and petitions to the one who could save him from death. The father heard and reminded his son of the purpose of his death, to, to glorify God's name. And of course, you know, Psalm 121 reminds us that our help comes from the Lord. It's his commitment to us uh, that makes the difference in our lives rather than our commitment to him. Okay, thanks for that uh, reminder of what the other readings are. Then let's go to the text for the day, which today is John 12, verses 20 through 33. And um, Alan Sorum, could we hear from you and uh, understand this is kind of a favorite text of yours and and um, get us started uh, and help preachers think through this and think about how they will present it. Yes, thank you very much, Jonathan. This is a longer text, so um, obviously the preacher is going to have to pick and choose what details he's going to hone in on. I'm not going to make any of those decisions for the preacher. I'm just going to make some general observations about the text that intrigue me. Um, I, the, the text begins uh, that there were some Greeks who were participating in the uh, worshipers at the festival. And uh, it says, Hutoi un proselphan philipto. Therefore, they went to Philip. Now, uh, uh, I think un is really interesting here. There were some Greeks on the one hand, 
uh, who were at this festival uh, early, of course, the uh, in the uh, they were at this festival and they wanted to engage Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. So therefore, they went to Philip. Well, Philip happens to have a uh, Greek name which is intriguing to me. And then what does Philip do? Not sure what to do with this request. Uh, I'm sure Philip is thinking of all the times where Jesus said, just, just to the Jews, uh, we'll, we'll catch the Gentiles later. Uh, although Jesus said that to his disciples, the disciples surely saw Jesus break his own guidance time and time again, um, reaching out to, to many different peoples on many different occasions. So not exactly sure what Philip, Philip not being sure exactly what to do with the Greeks request. He went to the other disciple whose name is Greek, uh, Andrew. And uh, also interesting there, they're both from Bethsaida. They're both from the same basic region and location. And they, uh, I, I imagine these two fellows kind of wondering, you know, <laughs> Jesus is kind of preoccupied this week. This is a big week, a lot going on. Should we even bother him with this request from the Jews? Um, the We often hear that articles associated with names and personal pronouns, they probably don't mean much. I've always myself kind of wondered about how true that was because we also know how important authorial choice is. I mean, if an author chooses to use an article or not on a name or not, I still think that's kind of interesting. But I think here it's it's really, really significant in, in my opinion, because uh, here's what here's what the Greeks say to uh, Philip. They say, we want, sir, we want to see the Jesus. We want to see the Jesus. Like we're talking about a very specific, wonderful rabbi here from a very specific location doing very specific things. These Greeks, um, proselytes to the Jewish faith, visiting the uh, temple for the great Passover feast. Th they want to see this Jesus that they've heard so much about. And so uh, they were asking questions. It's interesting to me that uh, this is uh, this is an imperfect and uh, different different translations desire to pick up on that in different ways. Uh, the NASB says uh, they they began asking questions. Um, kind of interesting. I personally, uh, I, I think that the imperfect seeks to pick up on the fact that they didn't. They weren't content to just make this request. They they were determined. They 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 were going to make the request as often as they needed to make it until they actually got this audience with Jesus. So, um, Philip and Andrew they decide. Okay, let's let's go tell Jesus that these Greeks want to see him. Not sure what is going to happen, and I'm sure that what did happen was really quite amazing. Um, you, I think you have to say that this text represents a, a critical point in John's gospel plot. And he sets it up very, very carefully. The, Philip and Andrew say, hey, Jesus, some Greeks want to talk to you. And this is what Jesus, this is what he says. Uh, he says, uh, has come. 
front-loading the verb there, the hour that glorified the Son of Man. Uh, we would probably say from our, our perspective, our look at language, that's kind of clunky uh, to front, front load the verbs like that. But, but we all know why the Greek does it. Why, we know exactly why Jesus did it. Uh, he's talking about the arrival of an hour. He's talking about the purpose of this arrived hour is the glorifying of the Son of Man. And I say this is a critical, I, I believe this is a critical point in John's plot because he's been very careful to to set it up. You know what Jesus said to his mother at the wedding when she was advocating for the wine supply. Jesus said, it's not my hour. And then, you know, in John chapter four, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, Jesus is talking about an hour that is coming. And then in later on uh, in chapter seven, when Jesus' brothers, who aren't quite yet believers, they're, they're encouraging him to go to a festival. You know, go someplace where there's a lot of people if you're trying to make a name to himself, for yourself. And Jesus says, well, your hour is any time, but my hour hasn't come yet. And then later on in that same chapter, we read that people are trying to get their hands on Jesus. But that's not possible because John said his hour hasn't come. And then in John chapter 8, uh, the, the, the enemies weren't able to restrain Jesus or do harm, harm to Jesus because his hour hadn't come. Well, now, chapter 12, beginning with verse 20, some amazing super atomic alarm clock in the skies goes ding, 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 ding when the Greeks want to see Jesus. The hour has come, has come the hour, the glorifying of the son of man. So you know what he's going to say is really important. Uh, he says in verse 24, amen, amen, lego himen. Okay, listen up. Uh, this is really, really important. And what what follows in verses 24 to 26, I think is a is a reason in and in in and of itself while why we uh, who want to be Wells pastors learn the Greek language. It, it is a display of of various different moods that are really important to understanding Jesus words here. And if I, I just want to touch base on what I think the moods suggest uh, in Jesus' message here that that is he's now go going to announce what is so critically important in this hour that has finally come. Um, you look at verse 24, it says, unless a kernel of wheat following to the ground should die, that's subjunctive, of course, it remains, present indicative, just one seed. But if it should die, it bears, again, present indicative, much fruit. So you have this general conditional clause that says Jesus isn't saying that every seed that falls to the ground is going to die. He's not saying that every seed that dies and falls into the ground is going to bear fruit. Um, so he's he's. He's leaving room, if I may gently suggest, for the uh, subjective justification you know, he's 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 working and serving and preaching in a context where his own people are largely rejecting him. Um, and then he says, uh, uh, but if it should die, 
it bears much fruit. The one loving his life will lose it. Now, here you have a future in, in a future indicative, but if that if that uh, if the one loving his life uh, he'll, will lose it, uh, the one hating a soul in the world will guard it. Another future indicative. Uh, let me be clear here in verse twenty five. I, I I might have gotten confused. The one loving his life will lose it. Future indicative stating a reality. This is going to happen. The one loving his life will lose it. The one hating his soul in this world will guard his soul, will keep his soul. Future indicative. Again, this is the reality. But now Jesus slips back into the subjunctive. If, if anyone should serve me, an invitation, right? If anyone should serve me, if anyone wants to serve me, let him follow me. Now catch the indicatives. Where I am there my servant will be uh, two really real strong realities uh, like those who trust in him those who are led by the spirit to believe in him there's no subjunctive there's no possibility pro probability there's only this enduring wonderful reality where i am there my servant will be and then finally in verse 26 if anyone should serve me he will honor my father. Now, there you have that future most vivid. Just catch the flavor. If anyone should serve me, if the, uh, anyone uh, led by the spirit, um, compelled by my love for you, you know, present it like a Lutheran, right? Anyone should serve me and, and enjoy that subjective justification. He definitely, most surely will honor the one who sent me again just keep in mind the context how jesus continually made the case in john's gospel you can't say you love the father if you don't love me you can't say you're a son of abraham if you don't believe in me um the, i think the the context of this is is very interesting so in verse 27, this is the hour that John's gospel in the universe has been waiting for. What is the hour? What is this grand event? Um, Jesus said, should I, should I be rescued? Should I ask God, my father, to save me from this hour? What could be more ridiculous in view of the, the flow of all history has been building up to this hour. And no matter how much it hurts Jesus, no matter how much distress and suffering it causes him should he ask the father to rescue him from this hour that the universe has been waiting for yeah well certainly certainly not so he prays he prays father glorify your name here here's the here's what's going to happen in this hour father glorify your name so how is he going to do that the the son is going to allow wicked men to lift him up on the cross and once lifted up on that cross the son is going to allow his heavenly father to abandon him in the world's hell and in this act of being lifted up on the cross to suffer the world's hell and in, in then in that act of self-sacrifice and generosity and objective justification by that act jesus draws the whole world to himself and those of us that are led by the spirit to 
believe this great act of Christ, um, we want to die with him. We want to be buried that we too might become the seed that bears much fruit. Uh, we we want to participate in in that death, uh, which in other places uh, it's called taking up our cross, right? Thank you, Alan. Yeah, I uh, noticed that the spotlight is firmly on Jesus here throughout this whole section, but it's Jesus himself who brings us into this too, right? The seed analogy applies to him, but also to those who follow him um, uh, to an extent. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, preaching this text, um, thoughts from John, Phil, um, what do you talk about uh, in terms of, uh, well, we, addressing uh, law issues in the text? Is it a refusal maybe to um, give up the life as Jesus speaks of it here um, in uh, verses uh, 25, 26 in that area? Something you address your listeners to or confront your listeners with? John? I think... You could go a lot of ways with this text. There's so much in there. Um, this year, though, I'm thinking, you know, as, as we're using this uh, uh, this series theme, rethinking devoted commitment, maybe the the thing I focus on is um, understanding where that true glory is. It's not in my commitment to Him; it's in His commitment to me. That that's what makes me who I am, and and my commitment to Him is is a uh, byproduct of that. But uh, I think, you know, the temptation to see religion, to see Christianity as look at all these good things these good people are doing. Um, yeah, can can get us into making it all about this world, this life, the the glory that that we receive instead of realizing, you know, what did Jesus do? It was, it was all uh, so that the Father's name be glorified and and in his sacrifice, that's that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Phil? Um, there's so many questions that are unanswered in the text, which are, are fun. We've touched on little bits of them. You know, what kind of proselytes were the Greeks and why they talked to Philip and all that. And another one that comes to my mind is, um, why did they disappear from the story? Um, you know, I think some people argue back and forth. Did Philip and Andrew go and find Jesus you know, in a separate place and leave those Greek people? Or did they bring the Greeks, you know, the Greeks followed along Philip and Andrew, or were they all together in some kind of crowded place where it was just a matter of being separated by a couple uh, feet or something like that? But one of the unanswered questions, I guess, in my mind, kind of to the points that, that John was just saying, is what exactly were the Greeks looking for, right? I mean, they wanted to see Jesus, but what did they want to see? What, what were they trying to get out of him? I guess I, I would assume probably that he, his reputation had been spreading quite a bit. You know, they're making this pilgrimage travel for the festival. You're seeing some of the big sites uh, in the city. And, hey, I heard this famous guy's here. Maybe like we would do if we heard a celebrity was in some city, you know, we're in New York City. Oh, go, go see that person. Um, you know, what were they trying to see from Jesus? Were they hoping to catch a little glimpse of of glory, you know, in a worldly sense, another miracle, this magic man who does all this cool stuff? Hey, we'd like to see some of that. And uh, I, I don't want to assume too much, but I guess I would maybe assume they were looking for something like that, right, from a worldly perspective. And I think it's interesting that immediately Jesus flips glory on its head. 
yeah. right? You know, want to talk about the glory of Jesus. Well, let me tell you right away. I guess we, I'm going to assume maybe that they followed along with um, Philip and Andrew and were at least nearby to hear this conversation, uh, as some commentators also do. But uh, Jesus flips glory upside down, as John was just saying, on what exactly it is. Um, and so, you know, preaching the text and thinking about law applications, maybe my first thought, along with some of the others that the, the other brothers shared, was just like what we're looking to get from Jesus. You know, what are we expecting the Christian life is going to look like? What are we expecting um, Jesus is going to do for me and how I live here in this world? And and Jesus turns that again upside down about his purpose to come here and, and die and produce this harvest. Um, and then the devoted commitment of following him that he's not going to just do these miracles for our lives and, and make it all happy and sunshine all the time, but there's going to be suffering and struggle, just like as his cross, so as Alan said, our cross too following him. So my first thought of focus was just, um, I guess, the understanding of glory and what we're going to get from Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Good thoughts. I uh, uh, That picture Jesus uses of the seed, I think, could be useful in that regard. Um, I mean, what what would it be if you took a kernel of wheat, a seed, and um, framed it and hung it up on a wall? I mean, you could say, well, I'm glorifying this seed, but that's ridiculous. I mean, the glory of a seed is to be put in the ground to break down, um, and then you see its true glory. And and so it is with Jesus, too, right? Uh, it uh, It's his glory to be crucified, be put in the ground. Uh, then what happens next and what flows out of that sacrificial death. Of course, that's what he wants to be glorified for. Yeah, and I, Alan mentioned it before with this kind of this definite article before Jesus and the Greek's request, and Phil, you've mentioned it. Yeah, what are, are they just looking to meet a celebrity? Um, maybe it's much more pious and faith-driven than that. We don't know, but yeah, is there something about um, Jesus is famous, and uh, why would he not want to be glorified just by being admired by these people, but no, he has something different in mind uh, when he thinks of glory and bringing glory to the Father. Uh, further thoughts on that, Alan? Yeah, the uh, the question of what did the Greeks want, um, I, I wonder if the preacher wouldn't do the same thing with the role of the Greeks in the story that John did in his reporting of the story, the Greeks coming to Jesus is, I'm going to say, almost like a reason for him to announce their arrival of an hour. So um, that's just a just a thought I heard, uh, just a thought I had about how much how much to give to the the whole the human situation with the Greeks coming to Jesus. On the other hand, that so much of John's gospel is about witnessing and sharing. Um, and, you know, it, it makes sense that, that Jesus would want to witness and share to the Greeks, but he uses that as an opportunity to talk about his witness to the whole world. Mm -hmm. John? Yeah, I don't remember which commentator it was uh, made the comment that, uh, you know, shortly after Jesus' birth, you have the Gentiles coming uh, to see him and 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 marking it and and shortly before his death here, uh, you see the the Gentiles, the Greeks coming and uh, um, playing a part, uh, marking the hour. Right, right, yeah. So, regardless of why they came, yeah, Jesus does use this as an opportunity to say, uh, 
the hour has come and let me tell you what is about to happen uh, this is the decisive moment um speaking of which i've always been intrigued by that word crisis in verse 31 um you know now is the time for crisis of this world uh and i've i've kind of looked at it in a more general sense you know that this is the the watershed moment for this world kind of you know here's really the whole um uh, the future of every person kind of hangs in the balance on what's about to happen in the next few days. I mean, these are the decisive moments really for everybody uh, in the world. What and that what Jesus is going to do um, is going to affect everybody. Um, yeah. So uh, bringing out gospel truths in, in this reading, there are many, um, but uh, Alan has emphasized some already. What um, Additional thoughts could we offer preachers? Alan? Yeah, I, I use this text a lot overseas with uh, groups who want to know more about the Lutheran faith. We get lots of invitations. Would you come and help us? And I, I use this text in a very important way because I think it, it, it communicates the essence or the core teaching of the entire Bible uh, in that you have the presentation of Jesus' cross, which is the means by which we're saved, and then the personal Christian cross, which is the means by which we are kept close to Jesus, depending on Jesus, delighting in our weakness that we might access his strength. This flies so much into the face of the gospel of prosperity there is a preacher in nigeria who has a net worth of over 50 million dollars now when you visit nigeria the first thing you say is there are precious few millionaires around here mm-hmm. but but just accessing the opportunity afforded to him by the preaching of a gospel of prosperity it's like everywhere uh everywhere you go all of our churches it seems in africa have to worship under the blaring huge speakers of the local Pentecostal uh, prosperity church that's saying, you know, like, here's how you, here's how you get your BMW. Uh, Here's how you get opportunity. Um, You, you, you bring your tithe and then God throws open his floodgates of blessings. So the prosperity gospel is absolutely destroyed by this text. And when when people see the true teaching of the the scripture with this clarity, um, it, it just has a tremendous impact. I had mentioned to you that um, you know people were blessed to have people transfer their affection for their savior onto the goofy person that has the incredible privilege to share the message of that savior. Just people, people just love us for clearly presenting a message that gives only glory to Jesus and all the glory to Jesus. Yeah. 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 What a a pointed application when you're surrounded by that prosperity gospel, right? How Jesus words are just, yeah, the polar opposite of all that, both in terms of his mission and then in terms of uh, those who follow him too. Um, Great. Um, Further, uh, applications or thoughts john yeah i think i mean you get such a 
a, a real picture of Jesus, you know, having this conversation with himself. What should I say? Uh, should I say rescue me from this hour? I mean, it, it that'd be better. That'd be easier. That'd be that'd be more fun. Um, but his his absolute willingness um, to say no, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna show God as who He is, worthy of all glory uh, and 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 honor. And that means the sacrifice. That of course is the the message of the gospel. Um, I just think it, it strikes me hearing him talk about it and and. Um, wow. Yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the prince of this world needs to be thrown out, right? And and now is the time to do that, he says. Phil? How can you not think about the, the other times the Father spoke from heaven, uh, including the beginning of the ministry? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And we see that reason for loving him and, and being so pleased that he's so willing to carry out his father's will, um, so willing to embrace the moment of suffering that's coming. Um, you know, there's so many parallels that how it, you know, it's like a nice little bow that the father ties on Jesus ministry here as, as the time has come, as we've been saying. Um, I guess maybe another thought about the text is that this is just really stirring, you know, um, like liturgically, this is okay. The fifth week in Lent and Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday is coming. But time-wise, this actually happened during Holy Week, right? After um, after the procession into Jerusalem. And just the, the way the text is written and how the story unfolds, uh, again, it's just so stirring. You know, you think about how we go through Lent and it's a journey and it's a physical thing. It's a mental thing. Um, in some ways, Christians and certainly pastors, you kind of are exhausted and tired by the time uh, Lent is coming to an end with all the extra worship and preparation for services. But you, this text just so beautifully kind of sets the tone for what we're about to do. You know, now is the time. Here we go. This is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. the, the death, the suffering, the crucifixion. Um, and what a wonderful Sunday. What a wonderful text to just prepare hearts and minds for what's going to be coming the following week on, um, you know, in, in Passion Week and in Holy Week. This is what it's all about. The Christ whom the Father loves so much, about to be glorified in a way that we could never really imagine, but only he could do and would do uh, for us and on our behalf. Uh, what an amazing thing. It, it really is stirring down to, down to the soul, for sure. It is. It is. Yeah. And uh, both, you know, um, for our personal building up in faith, and then also, I mean, that lifting up, uh, drawing all men to himself um, makes me think of, uh, I, I don't know, I'd use this text at, at the end of it to say, invite somebody, you know, to uh, reach out with that message. What a beautiful time to do that as Jesus lifts up his cross um, through us, too, and uh, through our humble efforts. Um, yeah, further thoughts uh, that might be helpful to preachers here? Just, yeah, as we've noted, a lot happening in the text, uh, but it is just a, an astounding account of Jesus redefining religion, according to our theme, right? Redefining what glory is, redefining his purpose, uh, redefining our purpose as his followers, not um, anything but the cross and the glory that comes from that. Um, any uh, theme suggestions or uh, any things that you uh, 
used to kind of encapsulate the thoughts of the text or set a direction. I, I preached on this text before, and it, nothing uh, that revolutionary. Um, Jesus glorifies the Father's name um, by bringing life out of death and by drawing people to his cross, kind of looking at those two different sections of the text. Um, John? Yeah, I, I preached years ago on it. Uh, going for the glory was my theme. Uh, life hidden in death, the first part, and you know, talking about the seed and all of that. And then uh, true glory comes through sacrifice was the second part. I think this year, though, I'm probably going to, haven't figured it out yet, but uh, uh, hitting on that that theme in our series, you know, rethinking devoted commitment and, and getting getting something with, with that commitment and glory in there. I don't know what it is yet, but but that's mm -hmm. what I'm spinning. Yeah. Ellen? Yeah, I, I think a, a theme that talks about the centrality of the cross. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, like you can, we can sit here and wordsmith a, a, a catchy, appropriate, engaging theme, but you here we're really talking about how the cross is that means by which Jesus glorified the Father, the, the Father glorified Jesus, and that Jesus glorified us. And then it's our cross. When you talk about redefining, you know, redefining death as we participate in Jesus dying by taking up our cross and dying to the world. And and uh, it's just really the whole Christian religion is summed up in uh, a cross. And, and remember, like we've really sanitized the symbol of the cross. I mean, for us, a cross, you know, you spend a lot of money on a beautiful gold cross and you give it to your you give it to your girl and she wears it with such pride and joy but good grief remember the offense of the cross in jesus day just it would be like us pardon pardon me for saying this i don't there's but but it, to make the point like uh i saw a picture of the 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 cot or or the table on which a man in Florida was about to re receive lethal injection. And it was just a graphic, terrifying picture to me. Mm -hmm. um, imagine somebody making a piece of jewelry out of that. I mean, it, we the, when the cross is so central to the message, it might be worth a moment to try to help people understand how it communicated in Jesus' day compared to how it does in ours. Yeah. Yeah, it's that last verse where uh, John, um, the narrator, right, has that little um, incursion. Um, Jesus said this to indicate the type of death he was going to die, as Jesus says. I'm, I, I've come to be lifted up, um, right? And yeah, that, of course, not the only time we heard it a couple um, uh, weeks ago in um, John 3, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, right? Uh, yeah, dramatic picture. Uh, anything further for preachers? Phil? I don't know if it's a true story or if it's a Lutheran urban legend, but I, I heard the story somewhere of a, a preacher who maybe missed his target a little bit in the sermon, uh, on a different text, uh, maybe a little off on pro 
uh, portraying Christ and a faithful member of the congregation who came out and greeted the pastor and his only words to him were, sir, we would like to see Jesus. Um, a good remember, a good reminder for us to put Christ front and center. Um, we'll hope that was urban legend, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, a good, a good reminder for us though, to put Christ front and center. And I think I'm um, just going off of themes. I would probably would um, combine lots of thoughts that you brothers are saying and have some kind of theme about seeing Jesus, you know, in death and in our life or seeing the cross yeah. And its value in 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 Jesus and what He did, uh, but then also seeing how that has value for our lives and how we live, you know, um, taking up the cross. So something along that. I don't have a good wordsmith uh, theme either, but mm -hmm. something about seeing Christ clearly uh, is probably how I would take the text. Right, right. King off of those words. Yep. Great. Well, uh, thank you, brothers, for sharing these thoughts on this. Um, uh, yeah, text that. Um, does help us rethink and redefine what it means for Jesus to have glory, what it means for the Father to be glorified, what it means for us uh, to follow in those steps as well. Uh, God bless you, preachers, as you glorify the Father's name by preaching the one who was lifted up to draw all to himself.